name it is. Amen? Jesus? Wow. We should be wanting to run out and tell people about Jesus. We should want to, to talk about Jesus. We should want people to, to hear about this, this name, Jesus. It's a beautiful name, a wonderful name. Turn with me to your Bible, in your Bible, to Hebrews chapter 1, and let's read the Word of God together as we celebrate Advent one more week. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Some of the most powerful words in the entire New Testament are right here. Hebrews 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Go over to chapter 2, verse 9. There we're told, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Let's pray. Father, this morning it is a privilege to come before you in worship. It is a privilege to be able to uh, sing songs about you and to you and for your name. And we thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful name. What a wonderful name. What a life-changing name. What a name full of grace and love and mercy. What a name of confidence and strength and power. And so this morning, as we uh, worship through your word, as we, as we look to your word to hear your voice, Father, we pray that you will speak, that you will open our ears to hear your spirit's voice speaking through your word speaking to our hearts and lives, speaking to our own walk with you. Where are we at with you today, Lord? I would pray that we are close and getting closer every day. And so as I share this time with uh, your people, as we earnestly bend our ears to hear your voice speaking, I just pray you would use me for your glory, that everything that I say would bring honor to you, that everything I say would bring uh, this church into a, a stronger more powerful relationship with you, one that's lived out and felt and believed and, and is life-changing. Father, we thank you for everyone that's here this morning. Bless us, Lord, with your very presence. We pray for this all in the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Man, do you like Christmas? Anybody like Christmas? Yeah? Christmas can be a very difficult time of the year, right? It can be. It can be. If we let the circumstances of this life overwhelm us and overwhelm Christmas, then it is a difficult time. And it's understandable why it can be a difficult time. But Christmas, we need to remember this. We need to cling on to this. We need to think about this and say this even to ourselves. Christmas is God's boldest, most grandest statement of love. It's his most boldest, grandest statement of love for people. Not just his created order he loves. I believe God loves everything he created. But he, he, but he really, truly loves people, us. God's love transforms our life. I believe on that. I believe that very much so in my own life. I believe it's possible for anybody else's life to be transformed. And it's transformed because God's love is based on God's grace. And that's what we're going to talk about today is God's grace. Now, as Southern Baptists, we are a Southern Baptist church. We support sending people out to share God's message with the world, right? The message of love and grace. That's the message that we're supposed to be sharing. 
And we don't just send people out locally or regionally or nationally, but we have a massive worldwide effort. Sometimes it's called kingdom work. That's why we give money to the cooperative program every month. That's why we give money to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering in, in December of every year because we want to pay for people to be able to go out and spend their lives sharing the powerful, wonderful name of Jesus Christ. We're part of missions in a small way when we give our money. And those folks we send out, they represent the church, and we're part of the church, and so we have a big role to play. We might not be able to give a whole lot of money, but what we give, we give in Jesus' name to send people out in Jesus' name to share Jesus' name. Yeah. As I was preparing for this message this last week, I, I came across Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5. If you don't re understand this about me, I really love Isaiah, and I read a lot out of Isaiah all year round, not just during Christmas, but all year round. I love Isaiah. He's like a mentor. He's like a, a father in a, in a way who's written this great grand letter uh, to me, and it teaches me about God. And listen to what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 5. He said, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Man, I love that, don't you? You know, the world says the church is, that Christians are, are judgmental and harsh. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're trying to say to the world, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God wants to comfort them. God wants to comfort people. That's not harsh, is it? That's not mean. That's not judgmental. That's God's message. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. Though the rough ground shall become level, the rugged plains Rugged places, a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. I think this is what our world is missing today, the glory of the Lord, don't you? Yeah. And all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One of the things the Bible teaches us is that God speaks over and over and over. That's why when we pray, we ask God to speak to us. We ask God to open our ears so we can hear him. We want God to speak. As Christians, we should believe that God speaks. And God has spoken, as we, as we just read, the most and the, mo and the last and the greatest through His Son. During Advent, and this is what we're going through, even though we're Baptists, we don't have that long tradition of Advent. That's more of a liturgical church. Lutherans, Catholics, others like that are, that are more liturgical, more, more fixed in their, in their worship every week. They do, they, they've done... Advent more than we have. The Baptists are starting to do it, and I think it's okay to do. We do it in the right way. If we do it to honor God, if we do it to, to lift the name of Christ up. So we do Advent. We're in Advent. We're reminding ourselves, and we're sharing with others this great message from God that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into this world, and God spoke like he has never spoken before, and Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5, was completely fulfilled when he came. Now, we know from last week's message, throughout history, God has spoken. We, if you read your Bible, you'll see where God spoke to, to certain people throughout history. Uh, um, sometimes he, he spoke as creator as he created every element of the universe we live in. Sometimes he spoke as a caller 
to a specific task, like sending Abraham to a land where I will show you, to Moses to go back and bring the people out. Other times he spoke as a protector and a comforter. Sometimes he spoke as a healer, like he did with Elijah. Many times he spoke as a judge, condemning people for their wickedness like he did with Pharaoh. But when Jesus was born, when Jesus came to this world and was born, God spoke as Savior. And he hadn't quite spoken that way until Jesus came. So if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know why he came to this world, if you want to know why he died on the cross and why he rose up from the grave, you need to read this letter called Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. You need to read this. It'll take you about... 45 minutes to an hour, maybe. Maybe not even that long if you're a good, fast reader. In this letter, in this letter, Jesus is the focus. He's the topic. He's the reason why this letter was written, and he's the reason why this letter is in the New Testament. So to me, that makes it worthwhile right there just to read the letter to the Hebrews, because it's all about Jesus. The message of the letter of Hebrews is Jesus Christ. He is God's message of grace to the world. So I hope you have your outline ready. We're not going to be running around a lot through scriptures, but I do want to talk about some things. Number one on your outline this morning, have your pencil ready. God shared his message of grace first through men. God has always spoken grace to people. He's also spoken judgment as well, but he's spoken grace throughout all of history since the very beginning. From the very beginning, God spoke through certain human agents, people who were willing to listen, people who would listen to him, seek his voice out and respond to him, people to whom God gave the privilege of sharing his messages with the world. You know, um, by the way, that's why preaching is such a privilege. I view preaching as a privilege because it's the message. It's the absolute message that we get to share in the gospel. It's the absolute message of of sharing Jesus' name. It's a privilege to be a preacher, I think. Think about Noah. He was a preacher, by the way. Did you know that? The Bible calls him a preacher. Abraham, Job, Joshua, David. Think about David, his walk with God. Think of Rahab, how she was used by God. Tamar, Ruth, Esther, all these ladies were used by God. Elijah, Ezekiel. All those people there were used by God in powerful, powerful ways to reveal to the world around them who God really is. And then there's Moses, who said, someday there's a man like me coming from among you. He's speaking to the Hebrew people. He was speaking to them, and he said, someday a man like me will come. You must listen to him. And what about Isaiah? Look throughout Isaiah. There's Christ throughout the entire book of Isaiah. And Micah, Micah talks about where he'd be born, Bethlehem, how great he would be. God worked through those men, and he he worked through others as well. And he did that to reveal his plan of salvation, his plan to reach out into men and women's, boys' and girls' lives and change them, transform them. God gave each of those men a specific message to share with their people and the world. And, you know, he, he gave them this message about Savior that God was going to send. And that's what we're talking about at Christmas. This Savior God sent into the world. And we think about this. Think about this. We're still studying those messages those people gave years and thousands of years ago, some of them, all of them, really. 
And the message he gave them to give to us, they're still powerful. They still work today. Look again at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers, to the prophets in many times and in various ways. The creator of the world we live in, your creator, my creator, spoke to men called prophets. Gave them a great message at many times and in various ways. Man, I would. what would you give? be with somebody like that, right? To be used by God that way. The creator. The creator of the world. Tonight, if you can, go outside for a moment. I know it's cold out. Go outside and look up the sky if it's clear. Look at the stars. Next time you see that big old moon up there in the sky, it's beautiful. Take a moment. Stop. Pull over. Look at it. The creator of the world speaks. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. The world that we live in, this world we live in, one of the things I miss about living, not living in the country anymore is you just don't see creation the way you, you, know, you can out there. In the town, in the city, you just can't do that. There's too many lights, too much noise. I just remember growing up on a farm and seeing all the creation around me. I lived about a half a mile from the Kansas River, and there was woods all up and down the river. I mean, you saw trees all over. Who would have thought all these trees out in central Kansas, right? Man. But God is a great creator, and he speaks. The world around us that we live in is a mystery. I am not a scientist by a long shot. It's complex. There's things about the world that other people understand and know and can can really work out. I don't know anything about those things. I just know it's beautiful, the world we live in. And I haven't even seen all of it. I haven't even seen a tenth of it. But the world we live in is beautiful, it's complex. Scientists have discovered great things about the world we live in, tremendous things we live in, and we're learning more things, more new things about the universe all the time. Did you know that NASA actually put a little rover machine on, the, on Mars? Did you hear about that a couple weeks ago? It's up there running around. There's somebody out there. We're paying these people to play with a remote control vehicle. Isn't that cool? And it's on Mars. And how they got it there, I don't know, but they got it there somehow. Man, there's just all these secrets that are out there. We're discovering some of them and we're learning about them. But there's one secret only God can reveal. There's this one secret that God has held back from all of us. That's the secret to knowing God. He's the one who can He's the only one who can unre- reveal that. And when you begin to know God, you will discover God's life-changing grace. He'll reveal that as well. That's part of his personality. It's part of who he is. You could say grace and love are his DNA in many ways. So is righteousness and judgment. Those are also in there too. Can people really truly discover God? Or I don't, are you convinced? Are you sure? Can people truly discover and know God? I'm asking a question. Boy, I tell you what, the world would wonder right now, people would wonder, what? don't you believe this stuff? You know? Do we believe God can be known? Amen. Man, you worry me sometimes. I'm, my, my contacts fog over and I wonder if anybody's here. Never mind. People really can, dis- I believe this, people really can discover God's, God exists, God loves us. I believe they can know like His life-changing grace. 
But how do we do that? After all, those, those people who wrote the Old Testament and, and then even the New Testament, they've all been dead for thousands of years. They're not here anymore for us to talk to. It's not like we can call up Moses on, on our speed dial and say, hey, man, what's, tell me this. Explain this to me. We, they're not here. We can't ask them questions. How do we do this? We have the Bible, right? We have the Bible. It's, it can help us. And I believe God speaks to us through the Bible, through his spirit. But in order to understand the Bible, to really understand the Bible, we have to know Jesus Christ. We have to have him. He has to be our Savior first. And then the Bible will reveal, it will open up and reveal much about God that we don't know. 1 John 4.15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him or her or both. And he and God. And so we know and rely on the, on the love God has for us. You want to discover that God loves you? You better start responding to God. You have to respond to God. You have to, to seek God. You have to pursue God. If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. It's just the way it is. If you want to experience God's love, you have to discover what Jesus did to make God's love possible. To have God in your life, your life must first be in Jesus Christ. That's the way it works. That's the way God set it up. It's not the way I set it up. I probably would have got it all backwards and twisted and convoluted and complicated. God said, here's how you're going to do this. You're going to do all of this. You're going to know me. You're going to discover my love, my grace. You're experience my grace through the Son, Jesus Christ. That's pretty simple. We make it awful hard sometimes, but really it's not that hard. It's simple. Your life must first be in Jesus Christ. There's simply no other way. And that's just the truth. And that's something that I had to come to grips with that everybody else does. And that's why, number two, God shared his message of grace through Jesus Christ, through this person named Jesus. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Don't read over that too fast. Think about what that says. But in these last days, God has spoken to us through his Son. What does that phrase, these last days, mean? What does that mean today, right now, for you and I? It means simply this, that when Jesus came into the world, something changed. He changed the world. History turned. History no longer was going in the direction that it was going. Jesus turned the, 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 the wheel of history. The world became different from what it was before Jesus came. It was less dark, less hopeless. There was the introduction of true love and true grace. People began to exhibit a new attitude about life and eternity. That's what God's grace can do for people. Even today, we can experience God's grace and God's love. It can change our lives. God's greatest and final message of grace was giving through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ didn't just come to share a message. He just didn't have a message like on high, like Moses coming down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, he didn't have anything like that. He is the message. That's a much different attitude, different way of thinking. He is the message about God's grace. He is the message itself, living incarnate. That's why verse 2 says, God has spoken to us by His Son. He's the message. We get all caught up in things Jesus says, and we need to study those things, but He's the message. We need to understand that. We need to grasp that. Then in verse 2 at the end, the writer says, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Remember last week I talked about uh, 
Colossians 1, where he made the where he made he all things are made through him and by him and for him, and he holds all things together. We're reminded again, he's he's the one who who, who made the universe. When you hear the word air, when you hear the word air, H-E-I-R, what do you think? What comes to mind? You're an heir. What do you what do you get? An inheritance. What did you say? You're next in line. What else? Money. That's exactly right. The world says, oh, an inheritance, ding, 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 money. Right? That's right. And that's just the way the world tends to work. I mean, it's true, right? Heirs receive an inheritance. Usually it is money or wealth or some sort of worldly thing. This is true spiritually, and it's also true worldly. Think about this. When John D. Rockefeller died in 1937, he left a fortune, listen to this, in the middle of the Depression of $1.4 billion. He left a fortune and his children inherited it. $1.4 billion. In the middle of the Depression. Wow. When Henry Ford died, the great manufacturer of cars, he died in 1947. He left a fortune of somewhere between $500 and $700 million that his children inherited as well as well as the company that made the money. They inherited tremendous wealth. When Jesus is the heir, I'm sorry, when Jesus came, he is also the heir of something greater than millions of dollars. Something far greater than millions of dollars. And the thing is, he doesn't hold on to his inheritance the way human people do. He passes his inheritance on to every person who ever accepts his message of grace and love and trusts in him. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a share in Jesus' inheritance. And if you will trust in Jesus Christ, you will have a share in his inheritance. Through Jesus Christ, the inheritance of God's grace becomes our inheritance. That's why we have to be in him first. That's why we're as Baptists, we don't believe we're universalists. Everybody, not everybody's going to make it to heaven. What did Jesus say? I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man goes to the Father except through everybody. No, through Jesus. Yeah. We've got to have Jesus. We want that inheritance. We've got to have Him. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. Think about this. When think about this. When we consider that Jesus left heaven, if I was in heaven, I would never want to leave. But I'm not Jesus. Think about it. He left the glories of heaven to come to this world. He came to this world to suffer and die for us. Do you realize he really did become poor for us to make us rich? Not in dollars and cents like so many church leaders get it wrong, but in God's grace. And in God's presence in our daily life. You know, I've always wondered about that. If, if I can have God in my daily life, do I need a, a million dollars in the bank? I don't think so. Yeah, I'm, I agree with you. I don't think so. Because if I have God, and I'm his son, is he going to take care of me? Yeah, he's going to take care of me. I don't need a million dollars. He's going to work it all out because I'm his son. And for you ladies, you're his daughters, right? Yeah. So do we need a million dollars? 
He might give you a million dollars, but he might want you to give it all away. I don't know. He might want you to fund some some great ministry. I don't know. But we don't need a million dollars in the bank if we have God. And that's not why Jesus came to give us a million dollars. That's pretty cheap, right? Think about it. That'd be a cheap salvation, a million dollars. I'd rather have God's presence in my daily life. Let me remind you of something Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 and 2. He said, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Here's a really big concern I have. And I think, among other things, I think we're losing sight of God's grace. I think the church is letting this slip by for some reason, which all Paul also called God's favor. I want God's favor, too. It's all the same thing, God's grace. We have it, you know. I mean, we have it. If, we, if Jesus has us, we have his grace. But there's a lot of folks around us that we know, they aren't rich that way. They don't. They don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord. They don't have His grace. They haven't experienced that. There's a lot of spiritual poverty in the world today. There's a lot of spiritual poverty right here in Lawrence, Kansas as well. Don't lose sight of God's grace. And the question really boils down to this. Are we going to do something about that poverty, that spiritual poverty? Yes, there's a lot of hungry, physically hungry people, and we try to do something about that for them. We have that food pantry. And we, we used to have partnerships with the schools that kind of just, the schools kind of dried it up where we would send kids food home on the weekends. We believe in doing those things as Southern Baptists. We like to feed people. Right? We like to eat too, don't we? Yeah. What do we do about this spiritual poverty? What are we going to do? We need to think about that. Friends, don't take God's grace in vain. Don't take it for granted. It's a gift. It's a gift that's meant to be shared. The greatest gift you can give anybody is, is, a, is the message of God's grace, is Jesus. It's tell them about Jesus Christ. The message is meant to be given away. And Christmas is the best time ever to give away the message of Christ. That's why in your bulletin you're getting these cards every week to invite people to come with you to an Advent service, to come with you on Christmas Eve, to celebrate, to hear about the message of Jesus, the greatest gift of grace the world has ever been given. You see, God's grace isn't just for those who already have it. We're not supposed to hold on to our inheritance either. Jesus didn't hold on to His. We can't hold on to ours. Point number three, the God, the God's gift of grace was given to the world through Jesus Christ. Go over to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. He writes there, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. God's gift of grace was given to the world, not just to a few select folks. That Jesus was made lower than the angels for a little while is a reminder of his humanity. Remember, I said last week he is God. He's Father. He's the Son. Father, Son, Spirit. He is God, and yet he has, he, he has a human element to him as well, aspect as well. He, he, he was born physically in this world. He lived on this earth. He was for a time, just as we are, except without sin, and he tasted death for everybody. He tasted death 
so that those who might believe in Him might live forever with God. Never forget that. Never forget what Jesus did. Why He came. Never forget these things. Jesus was for a time just as you and I are. Except He was without sin. And He, he didn't die just, just because it says He tasted. It doesn't mean He died a little bit. No, He fully died. He was dead three days. And He rose up. Yes, but He was dead. And by His death, the, God, the gift of God's grace that the Bible talks about all the way throughout was made available to you. To anyone who would listen and receive it. If you'll only accept Him as your Savior and Lord, you can have the inheritance of God's grace for, your, grace for yourself. Why would God send His Son to, the, to die in this world? Why would He do that? Why would Jesus leave heaven? Where thousands times ten thousands times ten thousand angels sang and praised His glorious name. Why would He do that? Where he, why would He come here where He would suffer and die a terrible death in a world that was that was not perfect in any way. To, it was fallen, still is fallen, and suffered for us. Why would he do all these things? The answer is not a mystery. It really isn't a mystery. The answer is easy to understand. To be God's life-changing message of grace. He came to be the message that through his life he would show us that God does love us and cares about us. That he doesn't want to condemn us, and he's made a way for us to know God, if we'll accept that way. Listen to what Paul said in his letter to Titus. In Titus 2, verse 11, Paul wrote this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. So that neighbor that you struggle to like and get along with, Jesus died for them. That person can be saved and changed. That child that maybe has wandered off into sin, sinful life, and you're thinking, man, what happened to my daughter, my son, my grandchild? God can change them as well. He can. God can change that coworker, whoever you have to deal with this harsh. God can change them. God can change even Muslims. Think about that. Muslims who hate Christians and the church, He can change them. God sent His Son into this world to make God's grace possible, real, and effectual. It's not, it's not efficient. It's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to heaven. But it is effectual. It can change people if they'll let it. And it changes people in this life, preparing us all for the next. In Romans 5, verse 7 and 8, listen to this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't forget that little baby that was born to Mary in Bethlehem. He came to die a terrible, horrible death. And he did. And he rose up. And he extends to us today that gift of grace, if we'll take it. The key to getting God's gift of grace is very simple. It's by responding to God when he speaks. So that's why I pray I want God to speak to you when we have time of worship. And the best way is to respond to God is doing what we're going to sing about, and that is let Jesus come into your heart. What does that mean? It means come into your life, take over your life. You give him your life, and he takes it, and he uses it for his glory, and he gives you the purpose you were created for. And that's to know and to love and serve God. Let Jesus. If you haven't done this, let Jesus into your life. Let him into your heart. 
Give him control. Maybe today you just need to come and pray as well. You can come up in front and pray. If you need someone to pray with, I'll pray with you. Maybe you just need to come up and just let God speak up here to you. I don't know. Let's stand. Let Jesus come into our hearts. Father, thank you.